and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to episode number 100 of the Imagineer Podcast. Because it's our 100th episode, I of course had to select a topic that is very near and dear to my heart and one that is really fitting for this milestone episode. And so our discussion today is going to be about Kilimanjaro safaris at Disney's Animal Kingdom. The reason I selected this attraction is because it's, first of all, one of the most intricate at Walt Disney World, and of course is the signature attraction at Disney's Animal Kingdom. And the other reason is because if you haven't listened to the show before, I used to work at Kilimanjaro Safaris as a cast member on the Disney College program and as a seasonal cast member between 2007 and 2010. So I have a rich history with this attraction and because of that it's one that I feel passionate about and because I know quite a lot about the attraction's backstory and all the details you might not know I want to share some of that information with you today. It's going to be and I have to say already is our most detailed attraction episode to date. It includes so much information, a lot that you might not have known before, and I know will help you to gain an even deeper appreciation and understanding for this classic Walt Disney World attraction. I'll include not only information, but also a binaural audio recording of Kilimanjaro Safari so we can virtually be transported together to this attraction at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Of course, at the end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with Imagineer Podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this 100th episode of the Imagineer Podcast. On Earth Day, April 22, 1998, Disney's Animal Kingdom opened to the public after years of planning and development. A tribute to Walt's love for animals, nature, and conservation, Disney's Animal Kingdom would provide an entirely new kind of experience for Walt Disney World, one that was more wild and unpredictable than its sister theme parks, and yet full of even greater story-driven details. At its April 21st dedication ceremony, Walt Disney's nephew, Roy E. Disney, noted that, quote, Disney's animal kingdom, like the animal world itself, will evolve and grow. It's truly a living thing, end quote. As you'll soon learn, Roy was absolutely correct. With the park focused on wild animals and wild places, Disney's Animal Kingdom needed a signature attraction centered around the natural world. That attraction, which soft opened in early 1998 and officially opened with the park on Earth Day, was Kilimanjaro Safaris, still one of the most popular attractions at Walt Disney World, located at the end of Harambe Village in the Africa section of the park. In fact, not only is Kilimanjaro Safari one of the longest rides at Walt Disney World, about 20 minutes in ride time, but it's also the largest. At 110 acres, Kilimanjaro Safaris is larger than the Magic Kingdom. 
Yes, you heard that correctly. The area covering Kilimanjaro Safaris can comfortably fit the entire Magic Kingdom Park with a few acres left over. It's a massive experience, and as a former cast member who used to work on this ride, I can tell you that the attraction only becomes more impressive as you learn more about its design and story, which of course we'll discuss in this episode. Before we dive into more details about this e-ticket attraction, I'd like to add my personal history with the ride. In 2007, I was fortunate enough to be assigned to Kilimanjaro Safaris on the Disney College program. For eight months in 2007, I worked full-time at this attraction, spending the majority of my day driving the vehicles and spieling to guests and a little part of each day operating one of the various other guest-facing roles for the ride. Although the attraction has changed quite a bit over the last 14 years, I'll add a few anecdotes to provide you with an even greater appreciation for the complexity of Kilimanjaro Safaris and the challenging role its cast members must play each day. We'll begin our analysis of the attraction by discussing its setting. While not a real town in Africa, Harambe Village is based on several real places across the continent, most notably in East Africa. In fact, both the village and the Harambe Wildlife Reserve, which is the setting for Kilimanjaro Safaris, is loosely set at the border of Kenya and Tanzania in East Africa, where you'll find Serengeti National Park. The Imagineers drew so much inspiration from this part of Africa that the original proposed name of the ride was Serengeti Safaris. Unfortunately, Busch Gardens Tampa had already taken this name for their own safari attraction, so the Imagineers landed on Kilimanjaro Safaris Expedition as the formal name for the ride, paying tribute to Mount Kilimanjaro, another famous natural landmark in Tanzania near the Kenyan border. The setting's inspiration continues into Harambe Village with such places as Mombasa Marketplace, Zawani Traders, the Dawa Bar, Harambe Market, Tusker House, Tamu Tamu Refreshments, and the Festival of the Lion King. To understand the backstory of Kilimanjaro Safaris, we must first understand the story behind Harambe Village. In real African history, many parts of the continent were historically under colonial rule and the Imagineers wrote a similar historical take on Harambe, which influenced much of the architecture and even culture of the village. According to its backstory, Harambe was once under British colonial influence. In fact, many parts of Harambe and Kilimanjaro safaris from both a guest and cast member perspective pay tribute to British culture. For instance, stroller parking is referred to as pram parking, since strollers have historically been called prams in the United Kingdom. Another reference to Harambe's British colonial history can be found at Tusker House. If you look closely enough, you'll find a sign on the wall that says Safari Orientation Center, with the word center spelled the English way, C-E-N-T-R-E. Harambe's British colonial roots extend back hundreds of years, and the irony of its past involves its economic history. Under British rule, the fort of Harambe, which was built in 1420, see if you can find the reference to this date somewhere in the village, thrived on trading gold, spices, and ivory. In fact, the reason to build a fort in the first place was to protect these supplies from pirates. For those who know the history of ivory trade, this natural resource is collected from the horns of various animal species, most notably elephants and rhinos. With ivory being such a lucrative product, the demand for this resource endangered the lives of these animal species not only in the fictional world, but also the real one. 
Sadly, poachers would kill these animals to collect their horns, not thinking of the impact this activity had on the natural ecosystem and valuing profit over the sanctity of these animals' lives and even the lives of their families. With the poacher storyline of Kilimanjaro safaris, cast members would often discuss how slaughtering a mother elephant not only ends that life, but also significantly reduces the likelihood of young offspring surviving, resulting in a cascading decline in elephant populations. This dark history provides a crucial backstory to Harambe's transformation and paints an unfortunate parallel to the real world, a common theme we see emerge at Disney's Animal Kingdom to support its conservation mission. The word Harambe is derived from Swahili and literally means, let's pull together. And the town's transformation gives increased significance to this name, demonstrating how the village worked together to end the ivory trade rendering it an illegal activity and transform its primary source of economic strength away from trading finite resources. In 1961, Harambe peacefully gained its independence from Great Britain, and while some positive British cultural elements remained, its ivory trade ended. You'll find references to this date around the village, so I'll once again encourage you to take a look around the next time you're in the park to see if you can find them. To support the economy, Harambe turned to ecotourism and established the Harambe Wildlife Reserve, which was established 10 years later, 1971, not of course to the opening of Walt Disney World, to protect the local wildlife and ecosystems. Knowing that these animals and landscapes would make for a great tourist attraction, the Harambe Wildlife Reserve established Kilimanjaro Safaris, providing two-week tours of the reserve. In doing so, the village not only flipped its economy to a more sustainable source of income, but also established a meaningful mission to promote the conservation of wildlife and wild places. The details in this story alone lay a strong foundation for Kilimanjaro safaris and for Disney's Animal Kingdom. Throughout our real natural history, we have always sought to prosper as a species and have often lacked the insight to understand our significant and often crippling impact on local ecosystems. As we've learned more about our global impact, we've adjusted our activities. Using a balanced approach, economic efforts are not framed as inherently evil, but historically short-sighted. Throughout the park, you'll see examples of ways that people have used economic ingenuity as a catalyst for not only human benefit, but also wildlife benefit. As if to say the problem isn't the system itself, but the way it's used. Harambe is one of those examples that demonstrates how a new mindset can revolutionize an economy in sustainable ways without completely transforming the form of the economy. It's when we come together and think about our impact that we create something both meaningful and prosperous, and when economic prosperity can be used as a tool for good. This philosophical layer of the park not only engages you in a story, but also in a real-world purpose, something you won't find as easily in other parks. In some ways, the park can actually transform you as a person in a very visceral way. As you're finding entertainment through the park's attractions, you're also learning about conservation. You've probably noticed you often leave the park with a greater appreciation for animals and wildlife, perhaps having even donated to the Disney Conservation Fund, or thought of ways you can better sustain your local ecosystem. That personal transformation is by design, and it all begins with these relevant stories loosely based on real-world history. And still, you're having fun and building family memories in the process. I think it's safe to say what would be very proud at the park inspired by his love for the natural world. 
Moving our focus to Kilimanjaro safaris, we'll begin by looking at the attraction's original storyline. The message of conservation during the soft opening of the park and the attraction was so powerful that it actually might have gotten a bit too grim. Those of you who remember Kilimanjaro safaris before 2016 might recall the poacher storyline, which played an important role in the experience. When you approach Kilimanjaro safaris, you'll first notice that the sign for the attraction out front lists three offices, Nairobi, Mombasa, and Arusha. These three cities in Kenya and Tanzania played a role in inspiring this section of Animal Kingdom. At the attraction entrance, you have a choice between the standby and fast pass experience. Each queue follows a slightly different storyline. With fast pass, your two-week safari is already planned in advance, so you bypass much of the queue experience to head straight for the main pre-show video loop. With the standby queue, you first head to the booking office, where you'll see a reception desk. It's amazing how the warden always seems to be away from the desk, but it gives you a chance to appreciate the details. If you pay close attention, you'll notice a map of the Harambe Wildlife Reserve on the wall, along with some paper maps that of course are immovable props just out of guests' reach. You'll also see a photo of a giraffe next to a safari vehicle, some photos of safari staff, binders, books, a radio, and a sign on the desk that says, Wilderness Explorers, your journey will be aboard Simba 1 today. Later in the queue, you'll also learn that Simba means lion in Swahili, and of course, this name is a subtle reference to the Lion King. The queue also features a poster that introduces Big Red and Little Red, a mother and baby elephant who are meant to be the most popular elephants of the reserve, a pair that the safari drivers actively seek out on each safari. These elephants played a major role in the original storyline. If you get the chance to stand in this area long enough, you'll also hear the phone ring a few times before it's picked up by the answering machine, where you'll hear a warden introduce Kilimanjaro safaris. For those who have not heard this answering machine before, let me play the recording for you here. What's great about even this smallest detail is that it already introduces you to the experience. Hearing about the Tembo trucks, live animals, landscape, and 800 square miles of the reserve, you can easily lead yourself to believe that you're not in Disney's Animal Kingdom, but in the far corners of East Africa, about to journey out into a vast reserve almost twice the size of Los Angeles. It's one of the most 
brilliant but subtle ways the Imagineers introduce you to the story at hand, painting a clear portrait of the setting. From the booking office, your next stop is a series of switchbacks under several TV units suspended from the ceiling. The video loop that plays on these TV dives deeper into the main attraction of the safari, the animals. Not only does this help to prep you for the experience by teaching you a bit more about the animals, but it also introduces you to Dr. Katherine Jobson, PhD. Although Dr. Jobson no longer plays a role in the attraction, she was once a critical part of the experience, partnering with Warden Wilson Matua to help guide your safari. The balance between this duo was perfect for the ride. Dr. Jobson was an English wildlife researcher who had spent six years in Africa studying wildlife, once again tapping into Harambe's British heritage, but showing how the influence has shifted to conservation. Meanwhile, Wilson Matua was a native to Harambe who had grown up with a love and appreciation for his local wildlife. This duo demonstrated dedication to conservation requires both your heart, personified by Wilson's natural love for animals, and your mind, personified by Jobson's curiosity for learning about animals. Jobson's video loop, in partnership with the Harambe Wildlife Reserve, also provides some great entertainment and education as she debunks some of the myths about your favorite African species, sharing how, for example, lionesses, not lions, do the majority of the hunting. Notably, the video also includes some information about how female elephants are the cornerstone of elephant societies, teaching their young and other members of the group how to find food, water sources, and other survival needs. This knowledge is once again presented in a very casual way, but it provides another crucial foundation to your role in the story. To help illustrate this point, take a listen to this audio clip of the video loop. In my six years here in Africa, I spent many hours observing animal behaviors, trying to separate fact from fiction. Before you embark on your photo tour, Kilimanjaro Safaris asked me to share with you the true stories of Harambe's wildlife. Some, I think, will surprise you. The mighty male elephant, while impressive, is not the leader nor even the cornerstone of elephant society. It is the females of the species who bond together into social units known as herds. Each herd is ruled by an older female known as the matriarch. Her experience in dealing with predators, water sources, and drought patterns is essential to the herd's well-being. If the matriarch is killed by poachers, her experience is lost forever, endangering the herd's survival. Given that black and white rhinos look so very much alike, one might imagine that their lifestyles should be similar, but due to the smallest of anatomical differences, they do, in fact, lead very different lives. The black rhino has a flexible, pointy upper lip that adapts it to browsing on leaves and shrubs found in Harambe's forest and bush country. The white rhino's broad, flat lips have adapted it to a life of grazing Harambe's open grasslands. At first glance, it might appear that all zebras look alike. One seems no different from the other. In reality, no two are the same. Each zebra has its own unique stripe pattern, much like human fingerprints. The next step on your journey takes you past a small wildlife area under a covered walkway toward the loading docks. 
passing over a bridge, you get your first glimpse of the safari vehicles, which were referred to as tembo trucks in the safari. With tembo being a Swahili word for elephant, we once again get a sense of the importance of elephants to the storyline, and the word also fittingly describes the tremendous size of each nine-row vehicle, which is capable of seating anywhere from 35 to 45 people. These vehicles were actually custom-built by the Imagineers from GMC Top Kicks and are fully functioning vehicles that could operate on the safari path or out on the open road. To give you an idea of the scale of the attraction, the ride can hold a maximum of 40 safari vehicles at a time, meaning that there can be upwards of 1,800 guests and 40 cast members on the attraction at any given time. Combined with the fact that show times can actually be adjusted depending on how quickly the cast members drive through the savanna, no wonder Kilimanjaro Safaris has perhaps the largest hourly ride capacity, often around 4,000 to 5,000 guests per hour on peak days. At this point, it's also worth debunking a myth that the vehicles on Kilimanjaro Safaris follow an automated ride path system. With live animals roaming freely around the attraction, it would be rather dangerous for the animals to encounter an automated system. It would also be rather difficult to create a system to get the vehicles on and off the track each day, not to mention timing the vehicles to stop for guests to take pictures of free-roaming animals. Instead, these vehicles are truly free-roaming vehicles. Theoretically, the cast members can drive the trucks anywhere they want. Practically, of course, they must follow the ride path, especially while carrying guests, as doing otherwise would pose a safety risk to both guests and cast members. That being said, there are rare times that a cast member might be required per management guidance to go off-road to get around a safety hazard like a fallen branch, although these occurrences are extremely rare and usually avoided with the help of the animal care team. As you could imagine, real GMC trucks would normally cause some kind of environmental threat to the animals. Thankfully, the animals can travel safely around the ride path because the Kilimanjaro Safari's Tempo trucks actually run on propane, which is an approved clean energy source by the 1990 Clean Air Act. Every evening, game drivers closing the attraction vehicles line up at a propane tank backstage where a maintenance cast member fuels two vehicles at a time. If you're a cast member whose truck was the last one off the track on a peak day, you might have an hour wait in front of you before you close your vehicle for the evening. But refueling each evening ensures an efficient opening process every morning. Cast members each morning simply need to perform the vehicle safety checks, including a quick test run around the vehicle parking lot, which could take anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes total, before driving the vehicle onto the ride path. Because the vehicles are authentic, this also means they require a real maintenance team. Kilimanjaro Safaris has its own team of mechanics and its own workshop, and they are equipped to handle any mechanical issue that might occur throughout the day, from a flat tire to engine trouble. These issues are rare since the vehicles undergo routine maintenance checks, and flat tires are actually extremely uncommon for two reasons. One, cast members check the track for safety issues every morning and keep their eyes on the track throughout the day. And two, the tires are constantly lubricated throughout the day. How? Those puddles and lakes the vehicles splash through on the track aren't just for show. They also are meant to keep the tires wet to keep their tread in top shape. The tires are even sprayed with water using a sprinkler system between the unload and load area of the attraction. It's one of the things I love about the attraction. The storyline and operational requirements work in perfect harmony together, keeping a wild and untamed look while serving a practical need. 
Turning back to the queue experience, once you pass over the bridge, you're introduced to the formal pre-show, which is another video loop played above the fast pass and standby merge point just above the dock. Here, you're introduced to Warden Wilson Matua, played by Senegalese actor Abdoulaye Ngom, who has appeared in films like George of the Jungle and Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. In the video, Wilson takes a couple of minutes to share the importance of animal conservation. Rather than read the entire script out loud, I'd like to take a couple of minutes to play the pre-show just in case you haven't stopped to listen to this video loop. As you listen, pay close attention to the way that Wilson introduces one of the biggest risks to the reserve, a battle they've been fighting that dates back to Harambe's historic roots, and how Kilimanjaro Safaris is attempting to do so much more than offer a fun vacation experience. Let's listen in. Not only does the pre-show sound graphic at times, but it was also visually graphic, showing antelope caught in snares and rhinos slaughtered with their horns missing. It's always hard to see, but paints an important and emotional picture of the harsh dangers of poaching to natural wildlife. You also might have noticed Wilson mention the words, working together, another callback to the meaning of Harambe, both literally and philosophically. 
In November 2020, this pre-show was formally updated to remove any mention of Poachers, the last piece of the original script. Passing this video loop, we finally turn the corner to the dual loading docks where we see Tembo trucks loading large groups of passengers. You'll also find a large poster in this part of the queue that offers some advice for capturing photos of the animals. This poster not only adds another thematic element to the experience, but also offers some real advice for taking pictures on the attraction. Keep in mind that the attraction opened in 1998, so most guests on opening day brought real cameras, not smartphones, onto the attraction with them. Boarding each vehicle, you'll notice that there are animal spotting guides on the back of each seat and along the canvas ceiling of the truck. As you board, you'll be introduced to your game driver, a friendly cast member who will guide you through your two-week photo safari. Moments after boarding, you'll depart from the load area and line up at the entrance to the reserve. To properly space each vehicle, a lantern placed next to the welcome sign blinks when the next driver is cleared to enter the reserve. To accomplish this spacing, the Imagineers embedded hundreds of RFID pucks along the ride pathway, which read the location of each safari vehicle. This helps coordinators manage the attraction, and in this instance, blinks automatically when the previous vehicle is far enough into the attraction for your safari truck to proceed. Not long after, you might notice that the vehicle drives over a series of chains, which are known as cattle guards. Neither harmful nor dangerous to the animals, the cattle guards are simply an uncomfortable nuisance to any animal that tries to walk over them. This barrier helps to keep the animals protected by keeping them within certain parts of the attraction. The attraction is broken into several ecosystems, and the first is the Aturi Forest, which is named after a real forest in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, approximately 700 kilometers from the border of Kenya. The Aturi Forest at Kilimanjaro Safaris is home to several species, including bongo, okapi, yellow-billed stork, saddle-billed stork, and greater kudu, with the main attraction being the black rhinoceros, an endangered species that guests are lucky enough to see at the park. Entering the Aturi Forest is also where guests, in the mid-2000s storyline, were introduced once again to Warden Wilson Matua. Once the vehicle moved over the appropriate puck in the ground, the sound system of the safari vehicle would play a pre-recorded audio file. There were timed pauses between each line on Wilson's end to allow the game driver to say their part of the script. Of course, to the guests on board, it sounded like there really was a game warden radioing into the vehicle from his plane over the reserve. From the Atori Forest, guests head into the next ecosystem, the Safi River. On the way, you'll notice your first major junction of the attraction. As a cast member, I used to like ask guests which way we should go, east or west. No matter their answer, we of course always headed the same way, but it added a feeling of spontaneity to the attraction, like we could have gone in any direction. Amazingly, every junction at the safari leads to a real backstage location. The roads are used primarily by Animal Care cast members to easily get from backstage areas to animals who might be out on the reserve, but they also offer several emergency exits for safari vehicles in the event that the attraction might need to be evacuated quickly, something rarely used but important to place when you're working with live animals. In the original storyline, this junction point was also where we would hear Wilson Matua and Dr. Jobson radio in from a plane above the reserve, offering to share a few locations where they spotted wildlife. Arriving at the Safi River, with Safi translating from Arabic to mean clear, we see that the river is not quite clear at all, but of course naturally murky. Within the river, we encounter our two main attractions, hippopotamus and Nile crocodiles. 
With both of these animals being very real and very dangerous, perhaps the two most dangerous animals in the reserve, guests are kept safely distant. Still, the original storyline played into the sense of adventure when crossing over the croc bridge, as Wilson would radio in to take it pole pole very slowly over that old bridge. It's also worth noting that the most dangerous animals throughout the attraction are separated by natural barriers hidden from guests thanks to clever use of line of sight. In building the experience, the Imagineers created large moats and walls to separate deadly species from guests. These moats and walls are concealed either by water or by berms. For example, the black rhinos are separated from guests by large walls made to look like cliffs and by a deep lake with a wall at the bottom, making it nearly impossible for the rhino to enter guest areas. With the lions, the Imagineers place them on a large hill that vehicles drive around in a semicircle. At one point, the hill extends upwards and then dramatically drops to a steep cliff that is followed by a deep and wide moat. The hill then proceeds back upwards towards the lions. And from a guest view at the bottom of the hill, there appears to be a natural path to the lions without any kind of barrier. It's a very practical illusion using nothing more than line of sight that creates a deeper sense of realism while keeping guests safe from harm. If you ever want to see what these moats and walls look like, take a look at Kilimanjaro safaris from a satellite program like Apple Maps or Google Earth. If you find the lines, you can easily see how this illusion is accomplished. From the Safi River, the next ecosystem guests enter is the West Savannah. West Savannah is the highlight of the attraction for many guests as it includes a number of famous animal species, eland, antelope, gazelle, giraffe, wildebeest, springbok, hyena, and African wild dogs, to name just a few. Driving along the lush pathway from the Safi River to West Savannah, game drivers often discuss the importance of conservation and just before reaching West Savannah will stop at a baobab tree. While most of the flora around the attraction is real plant life, the baobab trees are one example of a fabricated part of the experience. Baobab trees shed their leaves for several months of the year in Africa to retain water, something they definitely would not need to worry about in central Florida. To create the realism of encountering a leafless baobab tree, and to provide a reason to discuss why they shed their leaves, the Imagineers created a number of fabricated baobab trees, building upon their previous experience constructing structures like the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse and the Tree of Life. On the way from the Safi River to West Savannah, the mid-2000s storyline also had Wilson radio into the vehicle once again, this time mentioning that he spotted some elephants near the red clay pits. He recommends heading to that area, and of course, the game driver would respond that they would head that way. Within the West Savannah, game drivers will follow the winding pathway around lush vegetation and of course wildlife. This ecosystem is just one of the many places that animals might walk across the path. It's worth noting that the animals are truly the VIPs of the attraction, so they always have the right of way. No matter how stubborn the animal might be, game drivers must park in place to allow an animal to cross, even if that animal decides to sit in the road for a while. There's no honking or loud noises ever allowed to get an animal to move, and there's absolutely no moving up closer to nudge the animal along. These actions will literally get a cast member terminated instantly that day. While an animal crossing might occasionally cause some operational delays, it's an important prioritization. Guest safety is of course the highest priority at all times, but every animal's safety is placed right at the top with the guests. 
If you've ever watched the Magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom series on Disney+, I'm sure you've seen this principle exemplified through the actions of the animal care and veterinary staff. If you haven't watched the series, I definitely encourage you to watch it, as it is a wonderful look into the animal care operations at Walt Disney World. At Kilimanjaro Safaris, if an animal happens to be too stubborn to move, Animal Care will simply make their way to the animal to tempt him or her with some delicious treats. Even if it takes several minutes, they and the entire attraction will patiently wait for the animal to decide to move. In the middle of West Savannah, the attraction then takes a turn for Monkey Point, where the colorful mandrels make their home on the safari. It's also the location of the adult male elephants, which naturally live separate from their families in the wild as well as the attraction. On the way, the mid-2000s storyline had Wilson radio in once again, this time with a more alarming tone, stating that they came across a baby elephant whose mother had gone missing. Expressing concern, Wilson asks us to keep an eye out for poachers. In the original storyline, Monkey Point is where Wilson and Dr. Jobson would discuss spotting Big Red and her new calf, Little Red, near the red clay pits, with the location inspiring their name because of how much they love to roll around and play in the red clay. Eventually, the Little Red, Big Red storyline was changed to focus on a random mother and baby elephant. The shift away from a particular name made the attraction a bit more realistic and wild, as if to say that any baby elephant can go missing, and not necessarily one particular famous elephant. But it also presented a bit of confusion for guests, as the next stop, Elephant Country, often found families of elephants perfectly happy together. While it could be believed that there was another family of elephants somewhere else in the reserve where a mother elephant had gone missing, the idea didn't always click and presented a potential flaw in the story. Needless to say, if ever on a safari I passed elephant country and didn't see any elephants, if for instance they were all backstage or hiding somewhere out of guest view, I used the opportunity to play into Wilson's concerns even more. Transitioning from monkey point to elephant country also provided the most frightening part of the safari. Proceeding through a lush pathway without a clear view of any animals, the story called for a song. As a game driver, I knew exactly where the puck in the ground was that would trigger the radio, so I would tie my part of the script perfectly, to mention that we would sometimes pick up a clear radio signal around this part of the reserve, and I would even play around with the radio in the truck a bit to add some believability to guests in the first row. The song that appears on the radio is called Hapa Duniani, which is actually the Lord's Prayer sung in Swahili. It's a bit of a foreboding choice because the song leads guests to a closed part of the road, which forces the game driver to take a turn into unfamiliar territory. Let's play a brief part of the clip of this song just to give you an idea of what this song sounds like.
It's definitely a beautiful song, but like I said, it also is a, a bit of a foreboding choice for what happens next. Rounding a turn, guests come face to face with an old rickety bridge that looks to be in terrible condition. The script even calls for the game driver to turn off the radio at this point for increased focus, and again, I would always know at what point the song would turn off and would fidget with the radio to make it seem very realistic. With there being no way for the driver to go back at this point, the only way out is forward. We proceed very slowly across the bridge and can hear it creak and screech as if it's barely holding on. Just as we're getting close to the end of the bridge, the bridge begins to collapse, shaking and swaying as if we're about to plummet into the dry riverbed below. We seem to miraculously escape and proceed forward into elephant country. While this part of the experience was always very thrilling, it eventually was turned off. For those who are curious about how it all worked, I can share that the bridge sequence was perfectly orchestrated and contained many failsafes. For starters, there's a secret signal that would give game drivers the all clear to proceed toward the bridge. If not given the signal, it would mean that there was already a vehicle on the bridge, so the game driver would slow down or even pause out of sight so as to not spoil what's to come next. Given the signal, the driver would proceed forward and then meet a very specific range of speed, just a couple of miles an hour. If the driver were to proceed too quickly, or if the bridge failed any kind of safety checks, it would automatically e-stop and simply remain in place like a normal bridge. Assuming all safety checks were met and the driver were proceeding at the appropriate pace, the bridge would suddenly shake to the left along a pivot just a few degrees, enough to be safe and still give the perception that the bridge was about to collapse. Just a few seconds later, the bridge would roll back to the level position and the driver would be clear to proceed forward. It's easy to see why they eventually removed this thrill element, but it was always fun to experience as a guest and never stopped being fun as a cast member. From the collapsing bridge, our vehicle makes its way to the red clay pits that Wilson referred to earlier in the storyline. The red clay pits are located at the very back of the attraction and represent our transition to elephant country, home to a family of African elephants. This point of the attraction is also where the game drivers will discuss the importance of family life to elephants, especially for baby elephants who rely on their mother for survival up until their teenage years. The red clay pits also offer us an opportunity to spot a beautiful creation from Walt Disney Imagineering, realistic looking mud. This realistic mud can be found throughout Disney's Animal Kingdom, including near nearly all the pathways throughout the park, and is really just cement and stucco that's been dyed an earthy color. To give the illusion of tusk marks, hoof prints, tire tracks, and other markings, the Imagineers took some creative lengths for realism, even embedding tire tracks, sticks, rocks, and anything else they could find on the path while it was still drying to create the illusion of natural mud. The same trick was used for the mud on the safari vehicles. The Imagineers simply applied blotches of cement to the sides of the truck in a systematic way for a realistic look, then spray painted the cement in earthy red-brown color to match the landscape. After passing the red clay pits, our vehicle makes its way around elephant country, which is often the most popular part of the experience, and around Flamingo Island, which is actually one of the largest hidden bickies on property. Up on the hill next to this island, you'll also find a large hut overlooking the savanna. If you've ever seen guests up there, it's worth noting that this is part of the Wild Africa Trek experience, which is an adventurous walking and safari tour of the attraction. The hut is where guests on the tour eat lunch, and having done Wild Africa Trek personally, I could say it's one of the most fun and certainly the most unique tours you can get on Walt Disney World property. 
In the original storyline, passing from Flamingo Island into the East Savannah is where Wilson would report back to say there's a suspicious jeep near the Kopies, which is a word that indicates a small hill and a flat open area. Kopies are a common home for lions in Africa, and Wilson's note adds a bit more suspense to the idea that poachers might be in the reserve. As we've learned, the Imagineers carefully wrote the storyline in a sequential way to first educate guests about poachers and then involve them in saving animals. And this is the point where we really start to get concerned, especially knowing that Big Red has gone missing. The transition to the East Savannah takes us to one of the final ecosystems on the reserve, a place where we encounter several rare and exciting animals, including Bontabak, which at one point were hunted to extinction so dramatically that the only living species left were those in captivity, just a few hundred. White rhinos, ostrich, scimitar-horned oryx, warthogs, cheetahs, and lions. After passing the warthogs, both former storylines of the attraction took a rather grim and suspenseful turn, resulting in the most thrilling and emotional part of the experience. To properly capture the suspense, we'll discuss each storyline one by one. In the original storyline, our radio intercepts a conversation between Wilson and another warden on the reserve. The other warden tells Wilson that poachers have entered the reserve and shot and wounded Big Red. Jobson asks about Little Red, and the warden says there's no sign of him. Because of our proximity to the area, Wilson says he's going to close off the poachers from the west and asks if we'd be willing to help trap them from the east. It's at this point that the game driver would turn to you and ask if you're ready to help Wilson stop the poachers. It's the point where everything you've learned about your impact on wildlife turns to action. Most guests, of course, would affirm that they want to help, and the driver would proceed to the gorge where Warden found Big Red. Turning a corner, we encounter a smashed gate and the game driver asks what we should do. Wilson fervently tells us to keep going, indicating that he's landing his plane at the east end now. We continue forward and all of a sudden hear gunshots nearby. To our right, we see the poacher's jeep behind the brush trying to run away from us. Of course, this jeep was automated on a track that was timed to drive next to us at the appropriate moment. Rounding a turn, we then see Wilson's plane, a warden's truck with Little Red safely hidden in the back, and a live cast member pointing a fake gun at the poachers in their jeep. Jobson says Big Red will be fine, and Wilson thanks us for helping him to catch the poachers. For a limited time during soft previews, Big Red actually wasn't fine, and we saw a mother elephant's corpse on the ground. But this part of the story was quickly rewritten, as it was seen as a bit too dark and graphic for a family attraction. Before we move to the mid-2000s storyline, here's an audio clip of the original experience courtesy of Share a Dream Come True on YouTube. I've included a link to this video in the description of the podcast episode as well in case you'd like to take a look. Let's listen in. Wilson, you can count us in. So we're 
the cross kids, that looks like a case for this fast food. What do you want us to do? As you can hear, it was a really exciting and thrilling part of the attraction, and it got a little intense at times, but it was always just a lot of fun. Turning back to the mid-2000s storyline, Wilson radios that there are poachers in the reserve near our area, asking if we can help him cut them off. We of course agree and head into the gorge through the broken gate, quickly accelerating to swiftly make our way through some really bumpy off-road pathways. Passing through geysers, we hear gunshots in the distance, but the visible racing jeep from the original storyline was removed. We pass by the deserted poacher's camp, seeing tusks thinking that we're too late, but Wilson says not to worry that we drove the poachers right into his patrol. Rounding one last turn, we see Little Red in the back of a warden's truck with Wilson's plane nearby. The mid-2000s storyline was also removed the live warden, as this was a rather challenging position that required the cast member to shout the same line to each passing truck for sometimes hours on end. In 2012, the poacher storyline was completely removed from the attraction, replacing the gorge and poacher props with a new animal ecosystem. The new storyline also removed Wilson's radio chatter, leaving Wilson and Jobson's role to the Q experience alone. For those who might not have experienced the poacher sequence before, I'd like to play a few brief clips from 2007 to give you an idea of what the storyline sounded like. Those of you who know my personal history know that 2007 is when I was a cast member at Kilimanjaro Safaris, so of course our game driver for these clips will be yours truly. Enjoy. Let's see what else we can find out here. Uh, what do you say, folks? Do you want to help Wilson cut off those poachers? Yeah? yeah? Alright, we'll... We're on our way. Alright, folks, hold on back to this. Stand for the reason why that mother elephant went missing and that baby's still out there all by itself, which really cannot be good at all. And... Oh, great. This is not good, folks. Um, I think the poachers are trying to escape. Looks like they smashed through this gate, so we'll try to go after them. Now, the road's get a little bumpy, so probably try to keep it careful, but probably gonna want to remain seated back there. Wilson, this is symbol one. Can you help us out here? Any idea where those poachers could have run off to? The poachers are heading All right, Ratchet and Wilson, we'll head in that direction right now. Oh, great, folks. It does look a little bumpy there, so probably going to want to hold on back there. Just hang on, get through these bumps pretty fast. Hold on back there. Just a little bumpy. Oh, Richard gets us up ahead also. 
Something they're trying to run off to try to get to see what these guys just watch it on the ring. Oh, great even more for him, but we'll have to make a run for us as well. Watch on the left hand side over here, just watch out on both sides. Got these guys here all over the place. Oh no, Wilson, I see the poachers camp and it looks deserted. I think that we're a little too late. Roger, that's a really full try to get you up here. So Sounds like Wilson's got him. Oh, excellent, folks. Looks like our warrants have maybe managed to hide and see this baby on freaking elephants. After leaving this part of the attraction, the vehicles move through a gate that marks the exit to the reserve, passing through a shallow lake formed by a gorgeous group of waterfalls, once again keeping the tires wet as they approach the unload area. Approaching the load dock can be challenging for game drivers, but the two unload docks prove to be even more challenging, as drivers need to swing out wide and bump up against the rubber guards at just the right angle, then keep the wheel cocked slightly toward the dock so that everyone from the first to the back row can disembark without an open gap. There are some procedures that involve the unload cast member in case the driver is too far from the dock, but those instances are rare. Guests are then left to journey back to Harambe Village, passing by the entrance to Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail, which I often encourage guests to visit in order to gain an even greater appreciation for the animals and spend some time connecting with them in a quieter way and at a slower pace. As the storyline has evolved over time, so has the attraction. While the attraction once formally closed at sunset and offered some ticketed evening safari tours at an additional cost, Disney announced in 2006 that a new nighttime safari experience called Sunset Kilimanjaro Safaris would allow the attraction to operate after dark for all guests. This is one of several park-wide changes to keep Disney's Animal Kingdom open later accommodating for Rivers of Light, and the addition of Pandora, the world of Avatar. To operate in the evening, the Imagineers needed to add lighting to the attraction. Out on the savanna, you'll notice that it always appears to be sunset. That's thanks to a tremendous backstage lighting panel hidden behind a line of trees that mimics the colors of sunset. In addition, the Imagineers hid light fixtures throughout the attraction to better illuminate the animals and ecosystems. If you haven't experienced this attraction in the darker hours, I definitely encourage you to give it a try. You might not as easily see all the animals as you would during the day, but it adds an exciting and sometimes even romantic spin to the experience. Of course, the most major change to the attraction in the last 10 years has been the storyline itself. No longer featuring poachers, the attraction still promotes conservation but does so in a less frightening way using the cast members and the animals themselves to drive up interest for conservation. The current attraction storyline takes a more relaxed approach to a safari, focusing on the animals themselves. While it might not have the same rich and layered storyline that Disney's Imagineers are famous for creating, it is no less enjoyable than it was before, and still keeps the mission of Disney's Animal Kingdom at heart. While we've spent some time discussing the storyline and several attraction details at length, we've yet to really talk about how this attraction came to life, and it's quite impressive. That's thanks to legendary Imagineer Joe Rohde, who was the lead designer for the attraction and the head of the Imagineering team at Disney's Animal Kingdom as a whole. Joe and his team had traveled extensively to real places in Kenya and Tanzania, and even spent some time taking real safaris for research purposes. This research dates back to the early 90s, several years before Animal Kingdom opened. 
You can even find the park's tribute to their travels at Nomad Lounge, which will also have to be the focus of a future podcast episode. While it was certainly a challenge to construct Kilimanjaro Safaris, which as we already discussed is larger than the entire Magic Kingdom Park, the more challenging aspect was creating safe and caring environments for the real stars of the attraction, the animals. The onstage components of Kilimanjaro Safaris make up just one part of the attraction. In addition to the onstage environments, each animal has its own backstage home and animal care team. There's also a highly knowledgeable veterinary staff that keeps the animals happy and healthy. If you'd like to learn more about this team, definitely check out the Magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom series on Disney Plus and visit Conservation Station the next time you're at the park. I'll also work to produce an episode that talks about Disney's approach to caring for wildlife since it's an extensive conversation in itself. I'll just summarize for now by saying that Disney treats its animals like a valued part of the family. They get the highest form of care from a team who truly loves these animals. Kilimanjaro Safaris also took years to develop at quite a large sum of money. It's difficult to find any research supporting the real number, but I know it's a lot, especially if you factor in the cost of purchasing and caring for the animals. The ecosystems required moving millions of cubic yards of dirt and completing two growing seasons to develop the plant life. The attraction employs hundreds of cast members and even requires an agricultural team just to grow the food that the herbivores on the attraction eat, amounting to millions of pounds of vegetation each year. This is also an attraction that operates in all kinds of weather. If the park is open, the attraction is open. Whether it's hot or cold, sunny or cloudy, dry or pouring rain, Kilimanjaro Safaris runs through it all. It's a truly wild attraction that offers a variety of experiences depending on the time of day and the season you visit. As a cast member, I of course developed an even greater appreciation for this attraction. Working in the attraction daily, operating both the Tembo trucks and the various other operational positions, I can tell you that the ride requires a seriously talented management team, coordinators, and of course, cast members. Being a cast member requires learning how to drive the trucks backstage and out on the attraction ride path, and how to operate more than a dozen other positions. Cast members must also memorize over 100 animal facts, learn to spot, recognize, and name the animals in a free-roaming environment, memorize key safety and conservation messages, learn to speak radio code, understand how to respond in all kinds of emergency situations for which there are many potential scenarios on the attraction, and of course work to both educate and entertain thousands of guests every day. Coordinators also have a challenging role because the order of ride vehicles and ride time is not programmed and it changes. Thankfully, a computer system uses the pucks on the track to help them monitor all the vehicles on the ride path, but the cast member component is much more challenging. In particular, they must coordinate the location and schedule of over 50 cast members at any given time. And of course, the role of manager for Kilimanjaro Safaris is even more difficult as it is one of the most highest capacity attractions at Walt Disney World, one that can be constantly delayed by something truly unpredictable, animal behavior. In short, Kilimanjaro Safaris is a highly challenging but also incredibly rewarding attraction, and it was an experience I never took for granted. Even on the worst days, every day at work felt like the best day ever. And perhaps what I love most about Kilimanjaro Safaris is its ties to Walt Disney. When Walt was creating the Jungle Cruise at Disneyland, he originally dreamed of bringing in live animals for the experience, bringing guests closer to some incredible wildlife. 
The ability to combine a theme park attraction with live animals simply wasn't practical at the time, so the Imagineers instead turned to using animatronics. It turns out Walt, as always, was simply ahead of his time. Kilimanjaro Safaris was a realization of Walt's dream, and I believe he would have been amazed at the result. Walt loved nature and wildlife, and he was an advocate for conserving wild places. So I have to think he would have been incredibly proud to see Kilimanjaro Safaris and Disney's Animal Kingdom as a whole continuing to promote conservation and to honor the natural world. On Kilimanjaro Safaris, cast members will often claim that no two safaris are the same. I've been on thousands of rides on this attraction, and I can tell you that that is absolutely true. The ever-changing ecosystems, evolving storyline, free-roaming wildlife, authentic trucks that are free-roaming too, diverse cast members each with their own unique delivery style, and even ever-growing plant life results in one of the most dynamic and yet brilliantly controlled attractions on property. While I loved driving around with guests, some of my favorite moments on the attraction were riding around the path empty, which would often happen at the very beginning or very end of the day, or during a major storm when nobody wanted to be out in the elements. Those moments gave me a chance to really soak in the experience in complete silence, not speaking a word or worrying about the safety of my guests, just admiring the incredible attraction the Imagineers brought to life and the dozens of wild animals that give the attraction life with their own unique personalities and natural beauty. It was in those moments that I could have easily seen Walt walking the ride path early in the morning or riding with guests during the day incognito. He probably would have ridden Kilimanjaro safaris often, and I can only imagine he's looking down from above, grinning ear to ear, watching millions of families have fun, experiencing something he only dreamed would come to life one day. At this point, I'd love to take you with me for a ride on Kilimanjaro safaris with its most modern storyline, at least as of the recording of this episode, which I recorded the audio in 2019. As with other binaural audio recordings, I recommend using headphones or earbuds for this part of the show to get the most realistic 360-degree audio experience. But if you're listening on speakers or any other audio device, you'll still feel transported back to Disney's Animal Kingdom. Grab your safari gear and enjoy Kilimanjaro Safaris.
sliding all the way across our rows, making room for everyone in your party. Now, if the next party does not fit, please do not try and sit. You will be on the next track. Akuna Matata, no worries. Stay behind those yellow lines. Regulate their body temperature, but it will be during the nighttime when they actually come up out of the water to graze along the riverbanks. 
Now, take a look on the left-hand side. There's going to be a baby hippo with mom. That baby hippo is about seven or eight months old, not even a year old. Now, we are going to find on the island some white birds called pink-backed pelican. Pink-backed pelican get their name from the pink back that they sport during mating season. They do also have a very impressive wingspan of seven to nine feet.
left-hand side, we are going to find the sable antelope, the emblem or mascot of the Harambe Wildlife Preserve. The horns that they have are backwards curved and pointed, so they're going to help defend themselves against predators who may want to jump on their back like a lion. While many antelope do have the flight instinct of fight or flight, the sable antelope is particularly aggressive and is one of the only ones that will actually use the fight instinct more times than not. Now, these curious of you smokestack structures on the right and left will be termite mounds, made of three very simple ingredients, soil, saliva, and dung. They'll bake out in the sun all day long, pick up as hard as concrete. Now, many animals will use them as a scratching post, and once they're worn down, a prey animal might stand on top of them to look for predators hiding in the tall grass. On the right-hand side, we are going to find some Patterson's elands. That's going to be two females and the male, of course. Ask any safari driver what one of their favorite animals is on the savannah. We're going to say that male eland right there. He is absolutely gorgeous. About six feet tall at the shoulders. That doesn't even include his head and horns. Now, he will occasionally go into this tall grass and sort of create around his horns a, quote, flower crown, and he'll use that to try to impress the ladies. It is actually really adorable, because it usually doesn't work. The springbok again. Actually, the springbok are commonly mistaken for Thompson's gazelles, also known as Tommies, but they are two entirely separate species. Right, we're going to get one last passing glance of that baby giraffe over there on the right hand side. So furry, so cute. Now, all the giraffe that we see are specifically Maasai giraffe, and we can tell because of their spotted irregular coat, it almost looks like someone painted outside of the lines just a little bit. There is a more regularly patterned giraffe called the reticulated giraffe. I do believe your animal spotting guide reflects that. Now, they are actually over at the Animal Kingdom Lodge now, so you still can see them just one very short bus ride away. They'll travel about 500 to 1,000 miles across the savannah in search of food and water. It has been said that you can actually see the great migration from space. Now, humans and wildebeests do actually share one common trait in that we are the only two animals on Earth that will gather in herds of up to that size. Now, for humans, you can think of a sporting event, a concert, even a city. How many hundreds of thousands to millions of people are packed together into such a tiny space? The wildebeest is the only other one that will do it. Now we are going to find on the left 
left-hand side. It looks like a mandrel hiding up in the rocks. Now, the mandrel is going to be one of the largest monkeys in the world and the most colorful in the world. They feature red and blue markings on their face. The alpha male also sports it on its behind, although it looks like we are just seeing the behind of a mandrel at the moment. But on the right-hand side, we are going to find an African elephant. Now, African elephant, well, we can tell it's an African elephant because its ears will just loosely resemble the continent of Africa. Now, since it's alone, or at least seemingly alone, I'm going to go ahead and say that it's probably a male. Because at about 13 to 15 years of age, the male African elephant will leave the herd to lead a solitary bachelor's life. Occasionally meeting up with other bachelor elephants, forming sort of a loose bachelor pad, if you will. But they will remain almost completely alone. Now, here on the right-hand side... Rest in peace to my favorite way to get into elephant country. There used to be a bridge there. It would take me right through the heart of elephant country. I never could prove when there was a elephant that you call a bridge on accident or a flight or something. But it's okay. We do have an old service route that we use. It's really fun. It's a long and windy way, but it's okay. We'll get around, no problem.
the left-hand side, we are going to come across my favorite bird in the world, the greater flamingo. Now, those are the big ones. The small ones are ibises. Those are locals that come Now, the greater flamingo is the largest and lightest in pink of all flamingo species, but when they're born, they're not actually pink. They are gray little fuzzballs. They get their pink color from the krill shrimp and other crustaceans they eat that are high in beta-carotene. That is the same beta-carotene that's found in carrots. The group of flamingos is called the flamboyance, which always makes me feel like I should become a flamingo, but there we are. Now, for anyone particularly interested in hidden Mickey's, the island is going to be one giant one. You can notice the two ears in the face. We are looking for the sign, though. Some zebra on the right hand side as we come around this corner. Now, 
Bertha Zebra if you're wondering if they're white with black stripes or black with white stripes? The answer is a little complicated, actually. Now, the zebra is part of the equine family, so related to horses. We take a look at their nose to figure out their skin color, so that would mean that these, uh, the Grant Zebra or the Common Zebra, would be black with white stripes. However, if you did decide to shave a zebra down to its skin, I don't know why you would, but let's say you did hypothetically, you would find that their skin is both black and white. So, it's a bit of a conundrum, but we defer to the equine family, so they're going to be black with white stripes. Now, that will change from species to species, so do always make sure you are looking at the nose, the nose nose. Now, don't be fooled by their cuteness either. Their hind legs are strong enough to break the jaw of a lion, so you really don't want to mess with them. Job, Carl.
And with that, we close out our 100th episode of the Imagineer podcast. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode and any other episode of Imagineer podcast you might have listened to before. If you're a new listener, I, of course, encourage you to go back and listen to any other episodes of the show, which you can find on your favorite podcast app or by heading to ImagineerPodcast.com. And I would also encourage you to continue the conversation about this particular podcast episode, especially with it being a topic that is so near and dear to my heart and my personal history with the Walt Disney Company. And as always, you can send me your answers and feedback to our weekly question, which this week is, what do you love most about Kilimanjaro Safaris? You can send me your answers on social media in a direct message or a post or by posting about it to your stories, either on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn or TikTok at Imagineer Podcast. I encourage you to follow those channels as well. You can also reach out to me on Twitter at Imagineer News. And I would encourage you to join our Facebook group, The Imagination, also called the Imagineer Podcast Disney Fan Community, where you can converse not just with me, but with other members of the Imagineer Podcast community. And if you haven't done so yet, of course, feel free to subscribe or follow Imagineer Podcast on your favorite podcast app so that you are the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. Whether you are listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or any other podcast app. If you have any feedback for the show or any way or any suggestions for future topics that you might like to see in a future Imagineer podcast episode or hear through the community, you can actually send me an email at, for the first time, a real email address. Up until this point, you've been able to email me at imagineerpodcast at gmail.com, which you can still send an email there. It is still active. But you can also send me an email at our first official Imagineer podcast email address, which is matt, M-A-T-T, at imagineerpodcast.com. So feel free to send me an email there or reach out to me on social media if you have any suggestions or ways that you would like to see this show continue to evolve. I do read each and every single email and direct message that I get. Of course, one of the best things you could do for the show is to rate and review the show over in Apple Podcasts. We have maintained a five-star rating, which is so incredibly humbling and, of course, has helped to encourage me to continue to work even harder to make this community a better place for you. And as I mentioned, does a lot to help this community out. So be sure to leave us a rating and a review in the Apple Podcast Store if you haven't done so already. But of course, the uh, the best thing you could really do for the show is just to share it, whether you share out this podcast episode or another episode of the show on your favorite social media channel or talk about it with your friends or family. Anything you do to spread the word, of course, helps to grow this incredible community. And I'm so grateful to all of you who continue to share out the show each and every week. And of course, if you would like to take your love of Imagine Your Podcast to the next level, be sure to look into our Patreon group, which is at patreon.com slash imagineerpodcast. Patreon is spelled P 
P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And in case you haven't heard of Patreon before, they are a, a platform that helped to support creators financially because, of course, the show is free to you and you have a lot of expenses associated with maintaining the show. So those of you who do support the show financially, and by the way, thanks to all of you listening who are uh, Imagineer Podcast Patreon subscribers, uh, you get a lot of perks and benefits in return. Things like access to a weekly Disney Plus watch party that we virtually watch together, a, a famous or, or favorite Disney film or perhaps something new that's available on Disney Plus. You also can get access to or early access to every podcast episode as well as access to my podcast production notes, bonus polls and trivia questions uh, by accessing my close friends list on Instagram as well as bonus content there. Uh, Bonus podcast episodes, you get uh, daily Disney music loops is a relatively new perk that's available and there's just so much more. Of course, these uh, perks are subject to change and you can learn all about what's currently available again by going to patreon.com slash imagine your podcast or go to imagineyourpodcast.com and you'll see the support tab over at the top which will take you right there as well of course i would encourage you to also check out our partners if you're looking for and a reliable source of Disney news, I would encourage you to follow The Kingdom Insider and go to thekingdominsider.com to check out their blog because they offer a lot of great information about what's currently happening at Disney and what's to come in the future. It's a great pair with Imagine Your Podcast because we focus mostly on the present and the past with a little bit of the future, and they focus on the present and the future with a little bit of the past. It's a great balance. So check them out again over at The Kingdom Insider. And the next time you're ready to book your next Disney vacation, whenever it might be and wherever you might be going, look into our travel partner, Academy Travel and Mickey Vacations by Academy Travel, because they are diamond earmarked. That is the highest level of distinction that Disney bestows upon travel agencies, and they can help to plan out your next Disney vacation, alleviate a lot of the stress and the time dedicated to planning out your vacation, all within whatever your budget might be. And not only is it at no additional cost to you, but they can actually help you to save money on your next Disney vacation. So it's a great benefit to you and a great service that's available, which you can learn more about by clicking on the links in the podcast description of this episode or by going to imagineerpodcast.com, clicking on the travel dropdown and then selecting your destination. If you fill out that form, they will get back to you as soon as possible with a free quote that is no obligation to continue from that point, but it's a great way to get started on planning out your next Disney vacation. Last but not least, wow, 100 episodes, nearly four years of doing this show. I never thought this dream would come true, and it honestly was so simple. It just required me to start. I The hardest part about doing this, to be honest, was just taking the time to figure out how I was going to start. And after that first step, although, of course, it does take a lot of hard work and practice, for some reason, just that first hurdle seems to be the most challenging. So it's amazing. If you just start doing whatever it is you dream to do, if it's that next stage in your career or in your life, figure out how to take that very first step to doing it. And that is the hardest part of the journey. After that, as long as you're having fun, it's just a blast. And of course, this has been a blast for me. So I am so thankful to all of you for listening to what is now 100 episodes of Imagine Your Podcast, and here's to the next 100. Remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast.
think the thing might be that I, I'm, I'm a lover of nature. In fact, I, I respect nature very much. And uh, I feel that uh, through watching, observing uh, the, the uh, habits of the creatures of nature, man could learn a lot. 